This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead with the Moorhead team, and this is Austin Real Estate Investing. Today, we have Dave Meyer on from Bigger Pockets, and he's going to tell us all about his view of the real estate market here in 2022. Hey, Dave, how are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Jordan. Thank you so much for coming on. I've heard you on the Bigger Pockets podcast, I don't know how many times over the years, and I really appreciate your insight into the real estate market. So, real quick, Tell our listeners who you are and how you're involved with real estate investing. Yeah, so I am Dave Meyer. My official title is the Vice President of Data and Analytics at Bigger Pockets. And I've served in a similar role to that for the last six years. But I have actually been investing in real estate for almost 12 years now. Nice. And primarily in Denver as a buy and hold investor. And I sort of fell into it somewhat accidentally and realized that I just really liked it a lot. I was enjoying it, but my full-time career had always been in data and analytics and software. And about six years ago, I thought, you know, what, wouldn't it be cool if I could find a software company that also worked in real estate? And I started Googling around, found Bigger Pockets. I had never heard of it before. And luckily, it was about a mile away from my house, uh, applied <laughs> for a job, and that's that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I've been to the Bigger Pockets. Well, I don't know if it's still their headquarters. Uh, as of 2018, I've been to the Bigger Pockets headquarters there in Denver. Um, so you said you accidentally fell into real estate investing. Could you tell us a little more about that? Sure. So I've always sort of had this entrepreneurial tilt. And, you know, when I was growing up and needed money and even at 13, 14 years old, I was always trying to like scrape together money and entrepreneurial endeavors. And, um, I just like to find good opportunities. And I was going skiing with a friend of mine in Denver, and this is not my smartest friend <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> and I'm riding up with him. We're sitting in traffic and He's telling me this story about how him and his girlfriend are going to buy this rental property and it's going to make all this money. And this is back in 2010 where you could find cash flowing properties in Denver. And I'm sitting there thinking like, man, this guy's kind of an idiot, but wow, he's got a pretty good idea. <laughs> so I, uh, I thought about it and uh, went home and just started running the numbers. And I knew a bit about a spreadsheet even before that. And so I, uh, I just went and took the plunge into it right right away. I uh, found three partners who helped me with the down payment on my first deal because I was waiting tables at the time. I had pretty much no money um, and basically worked for Sweat Equity. Um, and throughout you know the next couple of years, got a couple more deals uh, around Denver. And uh, that's how I got started. Yeah. So it's been about 12 years of doing that. And it's been an incredible experience. Learned a lot and uh, hopefully a little bit better at this whole thing than I was when I just got started and absolutely knew nothing. 
That's awesome. So I can't tell you that I've talked to a ton of people that their first deal had three partners either. So that's actually really impressive. I worked in the restaurant industry for a long time. I was um, trying to think the right way to word it. I was not the right person to be a server. So they put me in the back of the house. I was the cook, the <laughs> cook and the dishwasher. Um, I wasn't the best with my words at that age. Uh, I used to get very nervous talking to people too. So you, you never, never see it being a podcast host and a realtor now. But yeah, so you did your first deal with three partners and you've been doing it for 12 years, mostly in Denver. Um, what were your next couple of deals like? Were those all with partners too? Uh, yeah, I've done most of my deals with partners, um, friends and family, really, like people who I have proven over the last 10 or 12 years that I actually know what I'm doing. Um, I haven't reached the point where I have been looking for institutional investors or, you know, bringing in people I don't really know personally. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's honestly just because I work a lot for bigger pockets and I'm really passionate about my job full time and really like that job. So um, I have done a couple of multifamily deals, small multifamily, not commercial deals, um, less than four units or less in Denver. Um, and now have a couple of single families in Denver and just uh, in 2018, did my first short-term rental and have just been doing syndication deals, investing in syndication deals, um, not in Austin, but in Houston, your, mm -hmm. your neighbor, I guess, in Texas, uh, and a few other places back in New York where I'm from, um, and just been doing that since I've been in Europe because I um, just didn't want to do anything active for a little while. So um, mostly rental property investing, but I am starting to get more active again these days. Um, and I'm looking to just jump back into, uh, investing in a, in a more participatory way and probably looking to, to find some new markets outside Denver. That's awesome. So, um, you're, you are doing, can you talk about where you are and where you've been operating these rentals from? That's why I love partners. You are not in the United States right now. That's right. I, I live in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Yeah. It, the, truly, you can do this from anywhere, especially a lot easier if you have partners. So if you're not in Austin, you're looking to invest in Austin. For anybody listening, find a partner who's in Austin. That makes it really easy. Uh, I have a business partner. I also invest in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. I didn't pick it. Um, went to high school with this guy. We bought 20 houses last year. I haven't seen any wow. of the houses. Um, I don't know what they look like. I didn't care to know what they look like. He went and checked them all out. Uh, having partners is so powerful and you can scale, scale so much quicker. You also mentioned passive investing, which I'm very passionate about too. Um, I've invested in a couple here in Texas, but you just find the right partner and find the right deal and, and give them the money and you get a return. So Lots of great ways you can invest from wherever you are. Yeah, absolutely. It's been uh, an interesting experience, honestly, that's been really beneficial for me because uh, prior to moving and living in Denver, I think my investing was really limited by my insistence on self-managing properties. I was doing all the you know, handyman work and, and showing the properties and doing a lot of the maintenance myself. And I think it slowed down my 
progression as an investor. And moving forced me to find someone who can do maintenance and property management for me. And I have a great realtor in Denver who I trust to look for deals. And so that's been really interesting. And it also forced me to learn more about syndications and investing in passive real estate, which I had never even considered really prior to moving. And it's been um, really interesting uh, learning experience as well. But uh, now, given the conditions of the housing market, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, I'm much more interested in buying stuff on my own rather than doing um, syndications, at least for the next couple of months here. Awesome. So yeah, let's jump right into that. So um, why should people invest in the housing market in 2022? There's so many reasons we're being told not to invest. So it's we've been in a bull market for too long. There's no way it can keep up or you hear all this crazy stuff of the housing market's about to crash. And then you hear interest rates are about to go up. And there's just so many people shouting against investing. I know personally, I'm looking to invest in as much as I can find, but of course I am. I'm a podcast host about real estate investing and I run a real estate team focused on real estate investors. It'd be odd if I wasn't. Right, of course. And likewise, I mean, I work for a real estate investing media yeah. and software company, but I am putting my money where my mouth is and mm -hmm. continuing to invest as much as possible. And I think there's basically three different reasons why I think that investing in real estate makes so much sense. The first one is interest rates. And yes, they are going up, but interest rates in a historical context are still near all-time lows and will probably remain in a really favorable position for at least the remainder of the year. And there is a lot of news and media covering the fact that in just the last couple of weeks, we're recording this in uh, late January, um, interest rates have gone up 45 or 50 basis points in the last couple of weeks. And that does make an impact on your affordability. For example, if you were to buy a house that was $400,000, that would add 70 bucks a month to your mortgage. So it's not crazy, but it's not insignificant as well. But if you're investing for the long term, like I am, finding a loan at three and a half percent is like incredibly, incredibly beneficial. And if I had to pick any one thing as why I'm trying to get as much real estate as I can right now, it's because of this. I, I sure interest rates could come back down into the threes again in the future, but they've rarely been in the threes in the history of the United States. And so I want to lock in as much as that long-term debt as I can. So that's the first one. Um, the second reason is long-term demographics. Like if you look at the, the shortage of housing in the United States, some people estimate it to be between five and seven million housing units short, uh, short of demonstrated demand. And if you know anything about economics and you know supply and demand, when supply is that severely constrained, you are gonna see prices go up. And that is coupled with really strong demand. We are seeing uh, millennials, which are the largest uh, age group in the US, reach their peak family formation. So basically the time they all wanna buy houses. And so all these people are trying to buy houses at a time where supply is severely constrained. That is another perfect condition for housing prices to go up. And then the third reason is just 
look at other asset classes. Like look how bad bond yields are. They're 2% right now and inflation is 5%. So you're going to put in a bond and lose 5% of your money. Like that's not an investment. If you look at the stock market and the crypto market right now, they're extremely volatile. And I should say that I invest in all of these asset classes. I'm just saying the reason I am putting most of my money into real estate right now is because those other ones are really, really uncertain. And while I do think the real estate market in the next like two years is a little uncertain. Like we could see a flattening out of appreciation. I personally don't really think this is going to happen, but there is a scenario where prices slide backwards a little bit, but in the five to 10 year like time horizon, like it's a no brainer, like lock in a three and a half percent interest rate, your housing, the, the value of your properties are going to go up a lot in five to 10 year horizon. As long as you can maintain your property over the next couple of years, when there's this sort of economic uncertainty right now, um, as long as you're investing on a long time horizon, to me, it makes complete sense. Absolutely. And I, I, I think this advice is so much so much for real estate investors, but so much for beginning real estate investors. So I think the, the people with the most concern that I talk to about the next couple of years are people who don't need to be looking at things in the next couple of year time horizon. And they can also lock in that 30 year debt. So we buy enough houses, we're not locking in 30 year debt. Typically, we're locking in five, 10, 15 year debt. And we're not nervous about that at all. It's not even a concern. But for somebody that's brand new and saying, oh, well, what if, what if this happens or what if that happens? Well, lock in a 30-year mortgage on a property that you know is going to cash flow or that you're going to you know, be able to handle the debt service and you'll be in great shape. Like you said, interest rates could, could go up in the next short period of time. I know the Fed keeps talking, we're going to raise rates three or four times and then we're going to stop buying bonds, which is going to hurt the the mortgage industry, but the people I see that affecting the most personally, and this is just me personally, this is not based on any information, are the beginning home buyers or the newbie buyers who can barely afford a house anyway. And if their rate goes up X amount, let's say 500 or 50 to 100 basis points, that's, they can't afford a house anymore. But the person moving from California to Austin can afford that same house with a five or six or 7% interest rate, probably higher than it's going to go. So you point out so many good reasons why there's nothing to worry about right now, but there is something to worry about if you don't act right now, you know, if you wait a year or two years, you might not be able to buy. I know you and, and, and David green talk about this on the podcast sometimes is, Hey, right now, You've got a great opportunity. Don't let it pass you by. Just out of curiosity, I know prices in Europe are much different than prices in America even. What's just a, a home in Amsterdam go for? It's pretty expensive uh, in Amsterdam. They have a housing shortage here in the Netherlands as well. Um, I rent in Amsterdam. Uh, we moved here not knowing exactly how long we were going to live here. Still don't. Uh, we just like got a furnished apartment, but we have a two bedroom, two bath apartment in a nice part of town. And I would bet it would sell for like seven or 800,000 euros. So it's really expensive, but mortgages here are extremely cheap. Like you would pay, I think it must be, uh, 
somehow subsidized by the government for first time home buyers or something, because it's like one or 2%. It's, it's extremely low. Um, so something you would not see in the U S and often you don't have to, uh, put any money down, but honestly, uh, there's all sorts of things going on in the, in this market that make it not feasible for me to invest. So I'm still very bullish on the U S uh, housing market over the next five, 10 years or so. Um, it hasn't really been attractive to me to, to uh, invest here, but yeah, you'd have to drop some coin for sure to, to get into this market. Yeah. And the main reason I bring that up is people always talk about how expensive Austin has gotten and really compared to a lot of other markets in the U.S., it really it has not. But compared to markets in other countries, it absolutely is not. So you're in a two bedroom, two bath, essentially condo. Uh, how many square feet where you live? Uh, I would guess like maybe at 1200, it's not, I mean, it's, you know, it's like city living, you know, it's Mm -hmm. small, smaller place, at least compared to where I live in Denver, but yeah, it's like a, it's a super nice place, but, uh, it's definitely different, you know, price per square foot is definitely pretty high. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, you know, while we, we are, we've gotten expensive compared to what we were 10 years ago. I don't think we are anywhere near expensive in the scheme of things. So Dave. Yeah, it's it's interesting just because I, I see a lot of parallels between Austin and Denver as markets, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. in terms of population growth, the types of jobs that are being created there, incomes rising, populations growing. And what I think the reality is that these markets are difficult to find cash flow right now, mm-hmm. unless you're doing short-term rentals or rent by the room. And you know, it's certainly possible in Burr, but like off the MLS, it's very difficult to find something that's cash flowing. But you also see this environment right now where rent is growing, going up very quickly. And you have to consider which markets the rent is going to keep going up over the long term. And with cities like Denver and Austin that have really high demand and sustained high demand that I think are going to see rent growing and appreciation over the next, you know, indefinitely. I don't, I don't know when it will end. Uh, I don't, I don't see a point where it will end at this point. I mean, I mean, there's always cycles in the market, so it will mm-hmm. slow down, but like over the long run, I don't see why it would end. And I think that's what the main thing I advise people now to think about is, do you need cash flow right now? Do you, and if you don't, then bet on the strongest market you can find because it's going to grow over the future. And I know it's tempting to like look for a 7% cash on cash return, but you know, that over the 10, a market that can produce that kind of return right now might not be great as good in 10 years, even in terms of cash flow as Austin or Denver, because rent is going to go up. And if you lock in that low interest right now, your, your, your expenses are not going to go up at the same rate. So that's, you know, people talk about it's expensive. It's all expensive, but I, uh, it doesn't mean it's going to stop. And people always bet against San Francisco and New York and all this stuff. And they keep going up to, you know, it's like the big cities where people want to live are going to keep going up. Yeah. And you all talk a lot about, uh, you've started talking a lot about this at bigger pockets. Um, 
you know, cash flow is great, but if you purely go after cash flow, you're probably not going to get as much appreciation. I think that's now more than ever. The markets you have to find where you actually can cash flow well just are not desirable markets. So they're not going to appreciate like an Austin or a Denver. Um, at the same time, you know, just to recap what you're saying, if you invest in Austin now and rent keeps going up at the rate it is, in two or three years, you're going to get in great cash flow and you've made a hundred grand in appreciation, you know, and it's just, it's exactly. so, such a great place. And I think we get so caught up and I want to make money right now. And I think that's why crypto was so attractive to people. I'm going to put a thousand dollars in and next week it's going to be $10,000 and just look what happened there. Um, it's right. 50% now or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, Volatile. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I invest in it, but I know it's, you know, it's gambling. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, that's not like a strategy for me for retirement. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, rent will slow down. Like it can't keep going up at this rate unless wages keep going up at, at a much higher rate. And I think with rising interest rates, we're going to see both of those things start to come back down to earth. But still, like even if it grows at a normal rate, five, you know, at normal rate for Austin's probably five percent, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it is like that compounds every single year. And if you're investing for five, 10 years, like when you do need cash flow, when you do want to retire, you're going to be in a very good position. Um, and you're probably going to be in a really strong market that has appreciated a lot. Um, and that's why, you know, I, I'm looking at other markets and new markets, but I like to balance them out. Like I invest in Denver because I think it's going to be a great appreciation market. I think Austin is is similar to that. And then I'm also looking for places where I can find cash flow because I am in a privileged position where, you know, I've been doing this for a while and I can diversify a little bit. But I think both are are good strategies. And um people have I am glad that people are coming around to this idea because for years I've been saying like you make more money from appreciation than cash flow, <laughs> and I it's true. And I think like until you are ready to retire, cash flow is not really that important as long as you can service your debt, as long as you can pay for all of your expenses. Um, you know, pay down your loan, let the value of your property go up, and you're going to make a lot of money. Absolutely, and. You got you used to you guys used to talk about this a lot on the Bigger Pockets podcast, but Austin is a great example. So you can invest in Austin and get amazing appreciation. You go an hour outside of Austin to let's say a Colleen or a Temple, and you can still get great cash flow. So you can invest in one geographical area like Austin and get those same things. You say, hey, I want I want to buy this house in Austin, get this great appreciation, and then I want to buy one in Temple and get some cash flow and diversify a little bit just the same way people diversify in stocks and bonds and and crypto and i, I do all of those things too i didn't hear want to trash talk crypto too bad i <laughs> i put some money in it but it's gambling for me yeah it's exactly fun, fun money have you wanted to be part of gobundance the tribe of millionaires but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet well now you can not even being a millionaire by joining our new program gobundance emerge my name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join GoBundance.com slash Emerge, GoBundance.com slash Emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, but I, I, I really think for, I don't know if your listeners uh, invest in the stock market as well, but you know, when you think about the stock market, there are different classes of stock. You have growth stocks, you have value stocks, you have dividend stocks. And you know, a, a growth stock is something that, or, or a blue chip stock, like you have all these different ideas. So like, I think about them sort of in similar terms in terms of real estate markets, like a blue chip um, a market is probably going to be something like Seattle, you know, or uh, I mean, Austin is probably approaching that, you know, where it's just consistently solid. It's going to keep going up. Like it's not going anywhere. You're not going to all of a sudden see tons of people leaving Austin or, you know, an economic crash. Like this is a very rock solid economic market. Then, you know, similar to a dividend stock, which is uh, if, if your listeners aren't familiar is a stock that pays you cash, you know, they, they give out some of their profits. I look at, you know, somewhere like Killeen or um, Temple as, as a dividend stock. But if you look at the stock market, dividend stocks don't go up in value as much. But as an investor, you start to balance these things over time and, and look for different opportunities based on, you know, what the market is giving, what, where you are in your investing career and in your life. Um, and, I really think that there isn't one right answer. Uh, it's there's different strategies. And, you know, as you progress in your investing career, you should pursue all of them. Um, but I don't see there's like one right or wrong as to like pick a market that is likely to appreciate it or is likely to generate cash flow. Absolutely. And I, I like those analogies too, because I think you could equate the same thing to what happens with stock market during a downturn, you know, all those stocks fall in value, but I'd say the blue chip stocks probably hold their value a little better than the growth stocks, the dividend stocks, and the same with real estate markets, uh, Denver or Seattle or in Austin might fall in value, but it's going to recover quicker. It's going to hold value better where um, like a Colleen or a Columbus, Ohio, or, you know, some of those markets that, it had great cash flow and just took a beating in 2008 as far as values go. So you have to look at your, your real estate portfolio that way too, of how much can I afford to lose? Um, so Dave, you've done a lot of real estate deals. Obviously you look at a ton of data around real estate. If you could tell newer investors one thing, what should they know before they get started investing in real estate? I think one of the things that people overlook, and I, I don't know, how old, can I ask how old you are? I'm 33. <laughs> okay, we're about the same age. I'm 34. So okay. I think that people of like our generation are all overly scarred by what happened in 2007 and yeah. 2008. And like, I'm one of those people, you know, like we graduated college. It was a terrible job market. It was nuts. You know, it was a really bad time to like start your economic life. And one of the things I think I like to remind people who are first getting, because a lot of people our age are starting to buy homes right now for the first time. And I think what I like to remind people is what happened in 2007 is the equivalent of the 1929 stock market drop. Like that has happened one time in the history of the United States. There have been other times where the stock market, the housing market has dropped um, in nominal terms. Um, there are times when it, you know, it is not doing well against inflation, but we have never seen anything remotely like that in the history of the United States. It was like a black swan event. And 
the although the housing market is going up really rapidly and it cannot keep going up at this pace the fundamentals of the housing market are much 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 different than they were in 2007 and again there is always risk in investing and things could go down temporarily but like even people who invested right before the crash in 2007 if they held on to right now would have earned a really good return on their investment mm -hmm. and so it's just like think about things historically it's hard because there's so much media about what's going on but like just go google the history of the median home price in america over the last 100 years and you'll just see you'll see in the graph that like home prices in the united states they don't really go down all that frequently and when they do they've always bounced back up and and then some so um i think it gives me confidence to look at that sort of long-term trend and hopefully to anyone listening to this it will do the same yeah no i'm sure you're the same as me talking to people about hey do you want to buy your first house or are you looking to buy your first investment and they say well i'm waiting for the crash i'm waiting for the next crash being our age that that's all we remember and yeah I always have to tell them, hey, I don't think it's coming. I'm not trying to sell you anything, but I think you might be waiting for a very long time. Um, yeah, and the, and the thing is, like, if it crashes, and, and like, I don't think it's going to crash. Could it go down three to five percent at some point in the next couple of years? Maybe, but like, in the time it takes to crash, it could go up ten percent. So like, you could wait for a crash, and it will, you know in that time property values have gone up 10 or 15 percent and then it crashes and i'm doing air quotes for these are listening like quote unquote crashes down five or ten percent but like you'd still be better off if you bought it today than waiting uh and mm -hmm. i think this this is like the the mentality expecting a crash again for people our age it makes sense um just given our experiences but logically if you look at historical data and have any faith in that which i do um, you would see that it is unlikely to happen at that scale, you know, like, of course it could go down a little bit, but that kind of, uh, crash, you know, accompanied with a huge recession, massive unemployment, you know, credit tightening severely, you know, all these things happening, construction companies going out of business. Like that was a very unique set of economic circumstances that are just not present today. Well, and you know, you you brought up a good point. Construction companies going out of business because of that, because there's been such a lack of building over the last decade, which is a very long time. Uh, you might know the number better than me. We're how many million of homes behind what we need? So in Austin, saying like five to seven million is like the current estimate. That's crazy. U yeah, yeah, U.S. You know, uh, nationally. Yeah in austin is we're at 0.8 months of inventory right now it might be down um it was trending down it, it was trending up when we thought oh we're going to relax a little bit maybe we'll get up to a month and a half two months of inventory which um dave knows this but for anybody listening six plus months is a buyer's market we're at 0.8 months and we were up we were up towards 1.1 and the, we could see the light and then it started going back down again I think we'll probably end up somewhere in the 0 0.7, 0 0.6 months here in the next month or two. Um, there's just not wild. enough houses for sale. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. And actually, despite rising interest rates, which normally you would you would expect would decrease buyer demand, it's actually gone up mm -hmm. because people like what we're talking about are 
anticipating rates going up for, you know, the next few years, probably. Mm -hmm. And it'll happen slowly. Um, it won't stay at this pace, but you know, we're seeing an increase in demand with a decrease in supply. Like the next couple of months are going to be wild. We'll probably see houses, housing prices continue at this torrid pace, at least for like another three to six months, I think. Yeah. So if you're in Austin, pay attention to what happened last year. Uh, 2021, we had a massive run in the spring. Feels like we're going back there again. We'll never know until it's happened. But for all the reasons Dave's saying buy, probably buy now rather than wait six months. Should yeah. be a bad yeah. place to be. Um, Honestly, that's that's what I'm trying to do is trying to buy stuff in the next, you know, three to four months as much as I can. Then see what happens. It could could still be good, but like I feel like conditions are good right now and past that who knows you know in today's economy it's very unclear um i i think the housing market is one of the clearest things but mm -hmm. you know things are changing rapidly and i am trying you know as a long-term investor i see good buying conditions now i'm going to act on that and then reassess as things change they say make hay while the sun shines that's right yeah exactly got an opportunity now um, so you've done quite a few deals too. Could you give us some advice on how to avoid a bad deal? So I know everybody's seen something. They said, I should have known that. Is there anything that, mm. that you would know? Maybe it's on passive investing, uh, or active investing, whichever works best for you. So I, I think like people get into their head a little bit and over think about things. And I, I, I personally, my, my philosophy about real estate is to keep things as simple as possible. And I do this because I work full time, you know, I have a, a job that I like and I'm passionate about, and I look for deals that are just simple. There's no like, Oh, I got to refinance this. Or if I can add these two bedrooms and then, uh, you know, then if rent goes up, like all these contingencies, like, honestly run a simple analysis. And if it pencils out, go for it. Um, and unless you're, unless you're a really experienced investor, but as a newbie, I really just think like, come up with a thesis. Like what is, what is your belief about investing? For me, I believe that the appreciation is going to be more important than cash flow, but I'm not um, willing to lose money on a deal. So I, I'm not going to take a negative cash on cash return, but I will take a 1% cash on cash return. I don't, you know, yeah. that that's fine for me. I'll take a 3% cash on cash return, anything like that. If I think it's in a really good market. And so I've create my own criteria. And once I find a house that fits that, I try my best not to overthink it. And just like, if it fits this criteria, I go for it. They call it like the buy box, you know? Yep. And, you know, to me, that's like the main focus. You know, I think a lot of people get into these bad situations because they overcomplicate it. And, you know, people, I'm not a house flipper because I think there's too much risk in it. Like people all want to be a house flipper. They all want to do like the sexiest strategies. I'm the opposite. I want to do the boring stuff that just has been working for 50 years and is going to work for the next 50 years. So that's how I avoid bad deals. I love that. I have a very similar mindset. Uh, I like boring and, and predictable. So 
I, totally. I love that too. Have a buy box. That's probably the best advice you're ever going to hear on a podcast. You know, have a have a thesis or have a buy box and say if it meets this criteria and make it reasonable criteria. Your criteria, mm-hmm. Dave, is is very reasonable. But yeah. over time, rents are going to go up. Over time, the property is going to appreciate. You're buying for the long term. You're in a good spot. You don't have to make a certain thing happen to have it be a good investment. Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here, and I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Totally. Yeah, and I think like people, you know, it's like, oh, I got to get this 8% return, or like, oh, if I do this, it will be a 14% return. But like, the difference between getting a 12% return and a 14% return is like a lot of your time and effort. And like, for me, that's just not worth it. I would rather take the 12% return and know it's going to, I'm going to get that. I'm going to, you know, think about this property for five or 10 hours in the entire year. You know, like that, that's what I want. I don't want something where um, people are, you know, I'm calling and thinking about this thing constantly just for another one or 2% return. It's not worth it to me. Yeah. What's your time worth? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Dave, we've talked a lot about your, your job. Obviously you really like your job and I love that. I think so many people want to get out of a job where maybe they should just go find a different job and then also invest in real estate. But what's next for you? What are your long-term goals and what's your real estate vision for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, for next for me, you know, I don't plan on retiring anytime soon. I I'll stay at bigger pockets as long as they'll have me. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, for me, I, I am looking to get into some new markets just because Denver is pretty expensive. I still believe in Denver and will invest there when I can. Um, but I see a lot of activity in the Sun Belt, so Texas obviously um, include is is included there. Um, and I'm just interested in diversifying and that not just from a financial perspective, just from like a personal interest and challenge to yourself, like investing somewhere else. Um, so that's what I'm really going to be focusing on for the next, uh, year or two. And then, um, I'm also just like really starting to learn about, and I'm very interested in the, this new generation of like manufactured homes. And I think given what we've talked about with, the housing shortage and all this stuff. Um, I'm really interested in like doing a little bit of, you know, I said, you know, I want to keep things simple, but you know, uh, one, one caveat to that is I would be interested in buying some land and trying to find a partner at some of these manufactured homes. Cause they're awesome. They're really cool, good quality homes um, and could provide good entry-level housing in markets that really need them. Um, and so that's something I'm going to be looking into as well. Are you referring to modular housing? Yeah, there's a couple different options. Like there's a bunch of module housing mm-hmm. um, or just like new versions of basically like, I don't, I don't want to call them like trailers, but like manufactured, idea, you know, it's like yeah. manufactured homes, but like super high quality, good finishes, yeah. solid places, you know, like it makes sense to me given the cost of construction right now is insane. Like it, it seems not feasible to meet the demand, you know, to to meet the need of the nation for housing Mm -hmm. using 
using traditional construction. It just doesn't seem reasonable to me. So I am really interested in like these manufactured homes. And to your point, like modular homes are a really cool option because they're manufactured, but you can customize them and it feels mm-hmm. like your own home and it doesn't feel like you're living in like a cookie cutter thing. Um, and the technology is just advancing really rapidly. So this is more of like a, you know, three to 10 year, this is not in the immediate future, but I've been doing a lot of research in it and I'm excited about it. So that's something I'll be thinking about in the future. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Stay in touch. I know a couple guys here in Austin working on opening a factory from modular housing for that exact oh, cool. reason. It's expensive to build. It's super expensive to build. And another thing is it's very slow. It's very slow. They're not very energy efficient. They're just stick built homes. Uh, it's hard to build them energy efficient. And I know we're all trying to be energy efficient. And I think there's a good reason for that. But they take forever. And they can get these modular houses once they're on site set up in a matter of days. So mm-hmm. they have the foundation, they pop the house in. It's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. And I'm seeing some buddies in Denver who are considering, you know, uh, they're contractors, you know, in the trades, mm-hmm. people are considering like just specializing in this, like putting up these modular homes, like they take the delivery and put them up. And like you said, two weeks, four weeks to put, you know, there's all, they run the gamut. There's some that can be put up in a week, you know, and then there's 3000 square foot modular homes that can be, you know, that are crazy. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it really runs the gamut, but I think um, it's a, it's a trend that is likely to continue Um, so good luck to your friends. I think it's a, it's a really smart industry to be getting into right now. It's hard to get into. It's harder than you would think. Um, another thing we didn't talk about is, uh, modular ADUs. So building these ADUs or accessory dwelling units that are modular and they can do the site prep. They can just come in and pop down a two bedroom, one bath ADU in Denver. That's popular. I'm sure Austin really needs more housing. So they're trying to increase density. Um, well, awesome. Yeah. No, I think those totally. are great I, ideas. I, they, they are making that easier in Denver because I looked into this for years, honestly. I was like looking for lots specifically where you could pop an ADU onto it. And the zoning is not, I mean, there's places where you can do it, but, uh, you know, cities like Denver and Austin need to start allowing more density and allowing for these types of creative solutions. Everyone wins. Like there's no downside to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, parking, whatever, you know, like um, it's like the complaint people have, but like people would be happy to have, you know, more homes. Um, So yeah, I think again, like all sorts of modular types of prefab construction is going to be a a huge thing in the next few years. Yeah. And I, I would argue that parking will probably be less and less of a concern too, as we have all these robo taxis that are going to be rolling around. I know uh, there's so many of the Tesla leases that they're saying, Hey, we want them back in five years and you can't keep it. We're going to make it a robo taxi. So totally. Yeah. It's crazy. And like, I mean, come to Amsterdam, you don't have cars anywhere here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I've seen them in Denver actually where they have modular it sits on top of a two-story garage. So like even in a, in a city where that's going to require you to add parking, you can do that. Um, and they're cool. <laughs> they're really cool. I stayed in one in Airbnb last time I was back in Denver for work and it was extremely nice place. Like I would live there for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. There's, there's so many cool things coming out with 3d printing, modular housing, manufactured housing there. Yeah. They are really nice. Um, so it's cool to have that part of what you're interested in doing here in the future. Dave, what is your favorite business or mindset book? Obviously you work for a publisher. 
Um, but do you have a favorite book that you like to recommend to people? Yeah. So um, there's a book called Thinking in Bets. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, I have. I have it. I've not read it. Yeah. Annie Duke, uh, she's a very smart woman and former, maybe still professional poker player. Um, but her whole idea about decision making, uh, I think is, is amazing. Just thinking about, uh, her, her whole concept is about, you know, divorcing, uh, decision-making from outcome, you know? So like you can make a great decision and through no fault of your own, it could turn out really poorly for you and that's okay. And you have to like be proud of your decision and not necessarily the outcome. Um, and just vice versa, you can make horrible decisions and you can get really lucky. Um, and I just really like her way of focusing on the decision and like what you can control and not beating yourself up. If you make a good decision, and it doesn't go well. Uh, I think that's, uh, really helped me a lot in my life. So I highly recommend the book. Awesome. Yeah. Thinking and bets. And we will have that in the show notes for everybody. Um, Dave, what's the best way people can get a hold of you? Um, so on Instagram is the best way to get a hold of me. I am at the data deli. <laughs> it's an absurd <laughs> Instagram account, but I share a lot of housing market data and information about investing, but, um, I am also a huge sandwich enthusiast. Mm. I love eating. So, um, I sprinkle in some food commentary as well. That's awesome. Uh, are there great sandwiches there in Amsterdam? Honestly, no, they're like <laughs> obsessed with sandwiches here. Like every store, like in the window of sandwiches, but they're like those crappy, like they're on like a little like hamburger bun, you know, and it's like one slice of meat. I hate it. Like I need mm. an American sandwich. That's like 2000 calories. And it's like <laughs> this big, you know, it's like, it's going to knock you out for a few hours. That's what I want. And I I've found like one or two places, but it's pretty hard to find. Well, I hope that you find something good here soon that satisfies <laughs> that thirst. Um, speaking of our most important question here on the podcast is what is your favorite restaurant in Austin? Speaking so, of food. Actually, right before I joined Bigger Pockets, my uh, now fiance and I went to Austin as like a trip to celebrate. And uh, we paid a middle schooler to wait in line for us for two hours at La Barbecue and oh, wow. uh, had incredible barbecue. And I know there's a big debate in Austin about the best place. That's the only one I've been to, but it was awesome. We, we, we had a great experience there. So that was probably my favorite. Yeah, La Barbecue is amazing. It's on Cesar Chavez. Um, be prepared to wait a little bit unless you just show up at the perfect right time. But uh, that's, I've never heard anybody paying a middle schooler for two hours. Was he already in line? I think they, I think they were like, they made it, they stopped it. They like shut it down. But like we found this kid, I don't even know how I found it, but he was just like, I'll wait in line for you and I'll text you when you're like, when I'm like 15 minutes from the start. So I paid him like, I don't know. It was like 25 bucks or something. Oh, wow. And so yeah, yeah, I know. And like, he like was right in line, texted him. I found him and I was like, Hey, what's up, man. And he was like, you know, middle schooler. He was like way too cool to even talk to me. I was like, you got the money. And I was like, hey, yeah, <laughs> I gave him the cash and just God lied. And I think, you know, people were probably very resentful of that and they shut it down. So they're no longer possible, but it was a funny story. Well, now it would be $75 with inflation too. <laughs> 25 yeah, bucks exactly. is not going to cut 
about it anymore. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure a pound of brisket's like a hundred bucks now too. Oh yeah. It's getting expensive. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Dave. We really appreciate having you on here. Um, right before I was interviewing Dave here, I was listening to his bigger pockets daily podcast. Episode 435 is all about Austin. If you want to hear more from Dave, Dave's all over the different bigger pockets podcasts and he's at the data deli on Instagram. That's right. Thanks so much for having me, Jordan. Yeah. Thank you. And have a great day.